Welcome to Music Matters Podcast with Daryl Craig Harris, talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders, and more. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Music Matters Podcast. And uh, today I have an awesome guest and actually a friend too, um, Richie Castellano, uh, guitarist, um, songwriter, now producer, uh, kind of wears a bunch of hats with Blue Oyster Cult. How you doing, Richie? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. I'm, I'm excited. We we first met, uh, we were doing the Queen uh, Symphonic Spectacular rock show. Um, that was, I guess, now, what, three or four years ago? I don't know. It seems like a long time ago. <laughs> that, that's the best way to meet somebody, I think. It's when you get thrown into the fire on a gig like that. Yeah, it's exactly. Like you shake hands, and then you have to play some really challenging music together under very stressful circumstances. That's yeah. the, that, that, that's how you really you really see someone at their best or worst. <laughs> exactly. And that's I mean that's the funny thing. Like the Queen stuff separates the men from the boys. We've all heard those tunes, but when you have to actually play them, it's like oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I think um, I, I met a bunch of musicians that I'm that I've become friends with from those gigs because it, it feels like you've been through battle together. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we love Richard too. The conductor is an awesome. Yeah, guy. absolutely. Um, so you're a Brooklyn boy, right? I was born in Brooklyn. I moved over when I was very little, so okay. I spent most of my uh, life growing up on Staten Island. Awesome. Yeah, that's. I mean, Staten Island's a cool place because you're like obviously you're in the city, but you're not right in the middle of everything. Yeah, it's like cool. I get I get to be in, I can get to Brooklyn in ten minutes, Manhattan in about twenty five minutes, but I can still have a, a place to park my car. It's nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like I love New York, but I'm like thinking like damn, park trying to park and living yeah. on a day to day basis, especially in the winter time, would be pretty nuts. I, I can have grass and a driveway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Staten Island's nice. Um, so. Tell, obviously, Blue Oyster Call, that's we're going to get there in a minute. But um, tell me, how did you get started? You had a, your family were musicians, right? Yeah, I am a fifth generation musician. Awesome. Uh, and my family, uh, my, my dad is a phenomenal guitar player and singer. You know the band from the 70s, the Chambers Brothers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, was a, he was their touring guitar player at one point. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. He was the white guy. If you had trouble recognizing, gonna, yeah, him. exactly. Okay, but, um, <laughs> I was. Yeah, those Chamber Brothers. Okay, yeah. and, and um, uh, he also, you know, is a very uh, is like an R and B blues singer and and great guitar player, great singer. Uh, and my uncle is a rock bass player, so oh, okay. I was constantly exposed to music. And, and but you know, a lot of people say, oh, there was music around the house all the time, like. My dad didn't listen to music all the time. He played music all the time. Yeah, it was so, just a whole existence, right? Yeah, and and they didn't mind me as long as I was quiet, just to sort of because <laughs> they had they had like a wedding band, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I would be sitting in the corner while they were having rehearsal, and just I was watching my dad just the way he would interact with people because my father was the band leader, and it just taught me like, okay, here's how you treat people, you know what right. I mean? And how how he was like respectful of everybody, but he had to like there there has to be someone who's going to run the rehearsals. Yeah, you got to get the who, job done, right? Right. Someone someone who also knows what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are, and and knows what to work on. So just like that was invaluable to me to just watch my father sort of uh, you know just run the band. And my father had great musicians in the band. In fact, um, uh, my father actually discovered Sharon Jones, oh, wow. the, the the singer. Right. And um, who who is no longer with us? Rest in peace. But mm-hmm. she was um, in my dad's band for decades. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, um, and that's that's a cool thing about New York too, because there's just those places like New York, Boston, the big cities like that. There's so many great players, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the funny thing about New York is, if you if you play in a wedding band, um, you're you're likely to get off the road touring musicians, right? Like us or um, or Broadway musicians. Yeah. So so you're getting like a band of killers. Yep. At you know playing a bar mitzvah or a wedding, <laughs> exactly. and, and and people are just completely oblivious to yeah, it. Yeah, it's like LA. Like, the oh, same play thing. that yeah. play that Black Eyed Peas song. It's like sure. okay, but it's like you know you, you realize you have people who could play with Chick Corea behind you if they had to, you know. Um, but but that's that's the cool thing about it, and I'm sure it's like that you know in Vegas. I'm sure it's like that in LA. Uh, but it, it's nice to have access to that many people, and sure. You know, every, and uh, you know, people from Brooklyn and Manhattan, like you know, they know. Okay, I got to get on a train. I got to do a wedding tonight, or gotta, yeah, you know. Get, and that's, I mean, in, in New York, that's that's a great gig, right? I mean, you can definitely make a living just doing that. 
I, mean, I um, you, you know, know, my dad, you know, put a roof over our head with yeah. weddings, and um, that's and the I, thing when people people like they'll pick on wedding musicians or or that kind of thing. I'm like, no, you know what, man, it's it's like a great way to make a living, um, and really, if you're doing something you love related to music, it's a win, right? Yeah, you know what? It's like anything else. It depends on who you're playing with. Because right. if you play with a band and and everybody likes each other, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> that makes and, a big difference. <laughs> and you and you sort of like suffer through the whatever the latest pop song you have to learn is together. Yeah, and it's like a shared a shared misery. It's it's fun. It's actually fun, you know. Um, and also, it's you get treated well most of the time. You um, you get paid great, and you get to sleep in your own bed. Hey, so, and free and free, free buffet food. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. You, you, get, you get the flame and yawn sometimes. Exactly. The prime rib maybe. <laughs> That's a, that's a big win. <laughs> so yeah, you did. I mean, oh, my my dad did it. And my uncle was in his band, and I think even my grandfather played weddings too. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So you know, when people say, "Oh, you know, oh, he's like a wedding band musician," I I I wear that as a badge of honor because that's how people support their families. Yeah, that's a that's a a great thing to be. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, being a professional musician is exactly that. Like, you have been part of the deal is making a living, right? Paying your bills. and Yeah, and and one of the, like, I just did this, um, I did this seminar a couple of years ago at Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. They brought me in as, like, a guest speaker. And I taught a guitar class of all, like, future John Petrucci's and John Mayer's. And, right. uh, and I told them, I said, if you want to work, you're going to eventually play songs you hate. So yeah. you better get you better get used to it. And, but then, like I think, when you get to the level that we're at, like with just trying to do as much stuff as possible, you don't really hate music anymore. You're just like, oh, this is something different that I have to right. put, put another hat on for. It's like something like you you might have hated as a kid. Like, oh, I hate this band. And someone says, can you play this? And you go, yeah, yeah, I, I know that song. It, it stops. It, your your opinion matters less, and you, right. you, you're challenging yourself with the ability of being able to play the song that's more important to you. Yeah, I went to uh, I went to Musicians Institute back in the 80s actually and we had Toto came in, the band, the whole oh, band. Oh wow. And um people were asking questions and one of them asked Lukather like, "What do you think about top 40 bands?" He goes, well, "We're a top 40 band." <laughs> <laughs> and you know like if you're lucky enough to have a hit, I mean, you know this, if you're lucky enough to have a hit, you get to play it the next 40 years, right? So, right. <laughs> that's, you know, but you're didn't, making a living. So Didn't Joe Walsh say um about Rocky Mountain Way. If I knew this song was going to be a hit, I would have written a different song. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I used to play with the guy that did tequila, Danny Flores in LA. Oh, yeah. And that was the thing. It's like, you know, we're playing, te- we do these huge fair dates and we're playing tequila twice. <laughs> in the set. It's like, but you know, hey, people love the tune. So, yeah. um, so you did that. So you did the wedding thing. You did the obviously top 40 stuff. And, and I'm sure in New York and, and um, so, and, and you also study production, yeah. um, sound, right? And that's kind of mm-hmm. what brought you to um, Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Um, so when, I, when it came time to go to college, me and my father kind of butt heads a little bit because he thought that I should go in for performance, right. uh, you know, be a jazz major. Yeah, that's and, tricky, uh, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I was thinking like, I know how to play guitar. I, I really would like to learn about other instruments and learn about right. digital recording because at that point I had a reel-to-reel 16 track that I recorded my first my first album on, and mm-hmm. I said, I you know this is something like guitar. At that point, you know I started playing weddings at 16, right. so it's like at that so point you're like a solid player by the time you're hitting 18, 19, right? What yeah, well what you know it was just it happened where my uncle. Um, at age 40, which is how old I am now, decided right. to get a real job and he started working for the post office. And he oh, had okay. to go He had to go for training. Uh, he had to go cross country for training. And um, he was going to miss a bunch of dates. Mm-hmm. And so my uncle, who basically um, taught me everything I knew about bass, about recording, you know, my, mm-hmm. my uncle's a genius. A mentor. And, and right. when my dad went to him saying, Who's gonna Who's gonna fill in for you? And he said, "Your son." And he was like, "Well, come on." And he said he could do it. So I went on a few gigs. I sort of like shadowed him on a right. few gigs, and uh, and <laughs> I, I just... took took notes <laughs> and I wrote stuff down and I and I did the gig. And then and then you know after that I was like, "All right, I can kind of do this." But uh, when it came time to go to college, I said, "Yeah, I I'm already playing gigs." Like doing that, I'm, and I'm playing, and no disrespect, but I'm I'm making more money than jazz musicians playing weddings. Why right. am I going to go study jazz? Yeah, so exactly. it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, 
So I was like, let me learn about recording and production. And uh, I went to, and we kind of butt heads, and my father insisted that I audition for jazz guitar and for um, production. Sure. So I kind of, I so I would have both options. Yeah, both. Yeah. Luckily, I went to a purchase college in, in New York, and they were really cool about it because I said, you know, look, I want to learn about production and, and, and composition, but I also don't want to stop playing guitar. So they were mm-hmm. really cool about it. They said, oh, why don't you take some of these classes with some of the jazz guys? Right. So it was cool. Like, I'm not a jazz guitar player by any stretch of the imagination, but I got to play and learn. About yeah, and you love you love all styles. It's great to learn, anyways, no yeah, matter what you're yeah. doing, right? So I got to learn more about you know music and my instrument through that. So I actually got a lot out of college, and awesome. other than just a piece of paper, right? Yeah, it's tricky because you know the whole jazz thing. I mean, I, I write for Jazz in Europe magazine, and and it's tough. I mean, even for major guys to make a living, and and you know it's a little little scary. And like I think you're like me. Like I just love music. I don't yeah, really I mean, differentiate between jazz and rock and pop and whatever. All, all my friends who are wonderful jazz musicians make their living playing R&B and pop. Yep. yep. So it's like, you know, it, it's the the ability to do it's great. You know, it's um, one of my friends once said to me, he's like, you know, I don't want to be a jazz guitar player, but wouldn't it be great to be able to do that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that's yeah, a, yeah it's because you, you know, you have that, we all have that thing in our head, like the smoky <laughs> jazz club and, you know, Miles <laughs> Davis and all that, you know, it's like, it's just like such a romantic thing, right? Oh yeah. Um, so you're, yeah, so you're at Purchase, you're going to school and then you get into sound um, production in general. Yeah. yeah. How, how did the, the BOC connection happen for you? Well, it all depends on who you sleep with. No, I'm kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> well, thanks for being honest, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, I was I was studying, um, st- you know, sound and and production, and I was doing sound for my dad's wedding band on weekends. <laughs> so I got demoted from the bass player to the sound guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, not a demotion. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, and we had a family friend. Who knew? Who was sort of encouraging me to do this? Who was also in the production field and knew I was studying it and knew I was able to mix live sound because mixing live sound and doing studio work are actually different. Different animal. You know, it's uh, live sounds like combat mixing. (laughs) So the uh, so he 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 wrote for a bunch of audio publications at the time and he had to cover. He was he was Blue Oyster Cult's front of house sound engineer, right? right? Which is at that point a big big deal, right? Yeah, and yeah. he had to cover the AES convention, right? And there was a some sort of lapse in communication where he told them, "I'm not going to be available on these two dates," and they said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah," and never got a sub. Oh, and okay. their their normal sub, who I believe was the guy who uh, was the guy who mixed Foghat. Oh, okay. He, um, so the the I should I should say names here. The um, the guy who I was subbing for is my good friend Steve Lacera, who is now the band's tour manager and sound engineer. Right? Oh, great! Okay. Uh, he's a w- wonderful person, great engineer, uh, and a family friend. And he kind of took me under his wing. And so he's when when the band couldn't find a sub for him, he goes, "I know someone who'll do it, but don't be nervous. But it's a kid." Yeah, you know what I mean. And I was twenty at the time, so right. to them, that's that's a kid, that's a child. Sure. So, yeah. um, they were like, "All right, whatever." So I show up to the gig. And and, you know, I was gonna say, like, a lot of people get gigs that way, right? It's the last minute thing, you, the last yeah. minute phone call that you get. Sometimes is your best gig ever. <laughs> all the all the best opportunities I find are the ones where you just get thrown into it because. You know, the thing is with with this industry, it's all about recommendation and, and names. Yep. So it's like, oh, we have a vacancy in this slot. Let's get a name guy, right? Right. But sure. when it's and so when people have time to mull over, uh, you know, yep. openings, they go, oh, let's try to get this name guy or this name guy, this guy with a certain. Oh, let's hold an audition or whatever, right? Too, right. Yeah. But when it's when it's uh oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like we have a gig tomorrow, and some our our name guy just dropped out. Right. That's when you could say, "Who do we know who can do this right now?" And yeah. if you're, if you're, and I feel like everybody will eventually get an opportunity like that, and it's your job to be prepared for that opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. You you prepare your whole life for that phone call, right? Right. So, um, I here I am with looking at the biggest console I've ever mixed on live. 
you know, my dad had, you know, a 24 channel. This is, I think it was like 32 or 48 or something. Right. And I'm just going, oh, wow. And um, and this is and a I'm world look- famous band that's yeah. at that time is just smoking hot. like. Hits and, and I'm and looking that. at the most gigantic PA stacks I've ever mixed on. <laughs> yeah. I'm going, oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I, on the way to the gig, I was talking to the tour manager and I said, hey, I, I studied the band's records, you know? And he goes, great. Do me a favor. Forget everything you just heard. I said, what do you mean? He goes, the band's records, especially the early ones, have kind of like a lo-fi sound. He right. goes, we want big rock show. Make yeah. it big and mean sounding. That's awesome. I was like, okay. Yeah, as a 20-year-old sound guy, you're like, yes. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I was repressed by all the uh, you know people's uncles and grandmas yep. at weddings saying, could right. you it, please? <laughs> hey, so, kid, can you turn it down? <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, big rock show. I, I think I made it painfully loud. I think I think it was uncomfortable <laughs> to listen to. Um, but awesome. I, I, I was having a good time and I just turned around to look at the tour manager and he was like, Yeah, good. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. I, I it was just it, it was as loud as I can make it without anything feeding back. And right, it just yeah. it, it it felt like an assault. Yeah. And uh then after the gig, I went um the drummer came up to me and he said, Are you the sound guy? I said, Yeah. And the drummer at the time was Bobby Rondinelli. And I said, he said, I heard my drums bouncing off buildings in the distance. <laughs> yes. I said, I said, is that good? He goes, yes, that's good. <laughs> that's, a that's a big win for the drummer. So yeah, what, what an awesome opportunity at 20 years old. I mean, that's crazy, yeah, right? Yeah. And what happened is they, um, then from then on, I became the sub. Awesome. So anytime Steve Lacerra had to do something for his other job, for his writing gig, um, I would fill in for him. And for me, it was the greatest because it was like a little rock and roll vacation. I was young. I wasn't well-traveled. So right. I got to see all these new places and kind of go where they roll out the red carpet for you. Because right. as you and know- treated, it, treated like a like rock star. Yeah, it's yeah. different traveling for a gig than going on vacation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like, have you ever had this experience? Like you go somewhere on a gig, right? And you go, oh my God. This place is so nice. I'm going to come back here, right? And then you go back there, and you're like a schlub. Yeah. Like, why is it different? It's like, oh, because I'm not someone picking me up from the airport. Right. I'm not someone, you know, d- doing this, paying for this. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, I do everything myself. I'm just like a like a punter now. Yeah, where's my road manager? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a very different experience uh, traveling on your own than with a, with a band. So, and, and also the, you know, the guys in the band, especially uh, Bobby Rondinelli, Danny Miranda – and uh, Buck Dharma, they immediately took a liking to me and kind of took me under their wing and and you know hazed me a little bit. It was yeah. it was it was great. All like, great players, yeah. I, I, yeah, I just loved it. And Bobby especially had just such a fantastic sense of humor. He's one of the most fun people to be around. What, um, what year? What year was this? Or this was two thousand that I started okay. doing this. Yeah, it's um, funny, man. Twenty years ago, right? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, twenty years ago, and uh, the. Um, there was one opportunity that came up where there was a tour of Germany, a 13-city tour, 18 days. Hmm. I've never left the country in my life. But right. as soon as I started working for the band, like when I was 20, I got my passport. I said, right. I'm Smart. Probably gonna, I, I said, <laughs> I might need this. So I just got it. I had no yeah. plans on leaving. The con- I, said, I just got it to have it. And that's something I tell musicians. I'm like, if you don't have a passport, get one because your best yeah. opportunity is going to involve a passport. <laughs> right. So yeah. I just – I said, I think I'm probably going to need this thing. And you know, I got I got the call again saying, "Hey, uh, next month, can you go to Germany?" Wow! And yeah. I, I said, "Yeah, I can go to Germany." I think my dad was nervous about it. He was like, "It's not a good time to leave the country." <laughs> you know, I was like, it's, <laughs> I was like "I'm I'm going." I'm like, "I'm this. going." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and it was on that tour that see, um, the the lead singer Eric Bloom, he. Um, because of my temporary status with the band as a sub, right. he never really bothered to become familiar with me because I was going to be gone the next week. Yeah. And he's, and he's seen a million musicians. And yeah. His right. It's like, he's like, you're just sure. another yeah. sub crew guy and that's that. And I don't blame him. Right. Um, whereas the, you know, the other guys in the band were just, you know, like to play around with me a little more. Right. Mm-hmm. But now here I am on a three week tour. It's not just like, Oh, I'm doing two dates over a weekend and then right. I disappear. And you're so on the I'm bus on together. And tour, yeah. And, and it's my first time ever on a sleeper tour bus. And we get on the tour bus, and 
and I and Eric and I were just we're all looking at it, looking around, claiming our bunks, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and everybody tells me, "Don't get a bunk near the near the bathroom." I said, "Okay." Wise wise words. Leave that one open. That'll be the coat bunk. I was like, <laughs> <Exactly>. "Okay." <laughs> so um, you know, we're just and me and Eric go into the back lounge, and at the same time we go, "Oh, Xbox." And then we looked at each other. You play Xbox, you know? And then we started talking about like all the games we we're playing. And we said, Oh, we're we just played all the same games. And I'm like, holy shit. And then we I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to curse on this, but uh, okay. he, he said, um, <laughs> and we and we uh and we go, wow. And then um he goes, you know, I play computer games too. I'm like, me too. So he takes me up to his room, he's showing me his computer games that he's playing, and I'm like, Oh no, you gotta play the game that I'm playing, you know. And then <laughs> that's great. Yeah, and then like we're on the bus and we're, you know, and we're starting to talk more. And he and I said, "Hey, I don't know if you're interested, because um, this was the week that two weeks before Lord of the Rings: Return of the King was coming out, right?" right? And so, by the way, just to mention, you're a huge Star Wars fan, but we'll get oh, yeah, there. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I got it pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is the the like two weeks leading up to the third Lord of the Rings movie, and I reached my bag. I said, "Hey, I don't know if you want to watch this." I and I had the two like extended edition box sets for oh, Fellowship. Wow. And the two towers, and he goes, "Hold on a second. He reaches into his bag and he pulls the same two discs out. And I was That's like, funny. It was like that scene in Step Brothers. Did we just become best friends? You, yeah, you want to do karate in the basement? Yeah. So so like we were just like because we never really got to know each other too much sure. because of my temporary yeah. status with the band. And, and it's um, kind of hard in his situation too, because like I said, you've seen a million guys come and go. You yeah, kinda, you yeah, get close yeah. to guys, then they leave, and it kind of bumps you out. So yeah. exactly. So during that trip, we, like me and him are we're we're talking we're, and we're commiserating because my friends are emailing me that the pictures of their tickets from the midnight showing of Return of the King, the third Lord of the Rings movie. Right. And I'm going, these mother, you know, I'm like, I'm missing out. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I showed Eric, look what these jerks are sending me, and we're talking about, yeah, I'd love to see that. But and meanwhile, you're on, tour, you're on tour with Blue Oyster Call, so it's not, not, things aren't so bad. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's like nerd first. Right. Oh, yeah, is. yeah, sure, but sure. The bus driver, the German bus driver overhears us talking about the, the movie. And then the next day, we get into, I can't remember where, where, where we were, maybe Nuremberg or something. Um, the next day, he goes, I, I have secured you two tickets to see Return of the King in an English-speaking theater. And he hands us two tickets. Two oh, tickets. Cool. And we And, we, wow. and uh, we're like, whoa. So <laughs> while all the band is discovering local German culture. Right. And drinking, this is on a day bar. off, right? <laughs> and they're all, oh, I'm going to go to this German market. And I'm going to go buy this and buy souvenirs for my family. We're like, right. we're going to go see Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so we go, we go to this theater. There's like eight other people there. All Americans, yeah. Right? Um, and we see Lord of the Rings, and that was like our first like bonding experience. And the funniest story, and he tells the story better than me, but um, I get some candy for, for the movie, get some popcorn and some mm -hmm. Twizzlers or whatever, and a drink. And he looks at me. He looks over at me. He goes, "Listen, I don't want to hear any crinkling of the wrappers. <laughs> I don't want to hear any chewing of the popcorn. I don't want to hear any slurping." of the drink. We are here to watch the movie. This is not a buffet. This is what he says to me. <laughs> That's so funny. Jeez, okay. So, <laughs> like so he's, watching serious, the movie. he's serious. We're watching the movie, I put a piece of popcorn in and I'm going, <laughs> you know. So, like the world's going to shatter if you yeah, right? Then all so of a sudden, funny. I think Legolas uh, surfs off an elephant trunk and shoots an arrow and Eric reaches over to me and goes, that was freaking awesome in the middle of the theater. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. So when we when we get home from tour, um, I was telling Eric about the video game I play with my friends, and you mentioned Star Wars, and it was a game called Star Wars Galaxies, which is a multiplayer online game. My dad was playing it. My dad's a more hardcore gamer than me. Um, oh, okay. wow. All my buddies are playing it, and Eric gets a computer built just to play this game with us, right? <laughs> and we're all like, we're like all Star Wars people in a hunting party. And and um, I'm a lizard guy, and Eric's a Wookie, and my friend's a bounty hunter, and this and it's like all the my other guys an Ewok, and we're all we're having we're having a hunting party, and we're and we're all around the campfire, 
and my dad's there too. And and this is inside a game. We're we're talking through chat bubbles. Right. Yeah. You know, this is before the the team speak uh, voice voice stuff. So yeah. we're talking through like comic book chat bubbles, and um, and in the game, I, if I remember this correctly, I'm, I might be fudging this a little bit or making it better than it actually was. But the way I remember it is, in in the game, I said my lizard man said, "Hey Eric, you want to come see my band this week? We're doing all of the Beatles' Rubber Soul," mm-hmm. and he goes, "Sure." you know what time and and this happened like around a campfire you know uh, you know in uh in indoor wherever you are yeah in star wars <laughs> somewhere land. in space right so he showed up to my my local band's gig cuz eric eric and i are both beatles fanatics awesome so um he shows up and he sits in with us and he sees me play guitar he sees me play bass right then 2 weeks later the uh there was a situation where the bass player at the time, Danny, who we both right. know, um, he uh, he got the call to go play with Queen, which that's a that's a really good gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, that's you, not really a gig you turned down. Yeah, you you take that gig. Yeah. So um, then here's Boc without a bass player, right. and again the situation where oh we we can't get a name guy. You know what I mean? Right. So let's get so who's the last person I saw play? And Eric and Eric and Eric said, "Wait a minute! I just saw Richie." And then Steve Lacera, the sound engineer, said, "Yes, you should get Richie. He can totally do it." Wow! So, awesome. You know, I, I, Eric calls me up. I'm at home. I'm sleeping. I'm living in my parents' house. Um, and you know, asks me if I can do the gig, the gigs on the weekend. And I, he gives me a list of like 22 songs. And you know, I, I, I lots of I, classic I, songs. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I shed my butt off like we do when we get situations like uh, you know opportunities like this. Sure. And my first gig was at a. Um, it was in Las Vegas um, at the Boulder Station. Oh, okay. Uh, is that still open, the Boulder Station? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, it was where the ba- the hardcore fans of the band had their like unofficial meetup. Yeah, and that's a great venue because it's it's big enough, but it's also yeah. intimate. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So so all the the like hardest of the hardcore fans bought plane tickets to come have like a little and they're know, all sitting there staring at you right at my first gig <laughs> but the, no pressure. the one of the coolest stories about that was actually the day before because we had a gig that was canceled due to a storm so we're just sitting in the hotel rooms we haven't rehearsed so yeah. we go into buck dharma's hotel room and buck has this little martin backpacker guitar that looks like a boat oar right yeah um Bobby Rondinelli had his sticks playing on an office chair. Eric and Alan were, you know, air guitaring and air keyboarding their parts yeah. and singing them. And I, I'm like, um, I'm the adapter king. I don't know. What, I don't know what your travel bag is like. This is a. This yeah. is this is a. This could be an episode on its own. Like, what's in your your no, gig I'm bag? Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm the same way. You're like, I I have I have. An obscene amount of adapters that I yeah, always car- carry. As we learn, you never know what you're going to need when you're on the road. <laughs> right. So I, I've just always been this way. So I plugged my bass into the television, <laughs> which I broke. One. You know, Funny. I'm pretty sure I blew that television up. But yeah. so we played all 22 songs um, right. like that right. and rehearsed it. And I got through the whole set and um, I didn't make any mistakes. And uh, then the next night, I played the first gig. It was great. But th- then there was like this period f- where weeks and weeks would go by, and they were talking about getting the name guy. Right. So yeah. like, oh, you know, we got to get, we got to get Casim Sultan in the band. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got to get Casim Sultan. Reach out to Casim Sultan. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute, hey, what, what about me? <laughs> but you know, I, so, I, I, but they they made it clear to me that I was their temporary replacement. So yeah. after every weekend's worth of gigs, they'd be like, "Hey, can you do next weekend?" Okay. Yeah. Hey, can you do next weekend? And this you know, that's, from- that's an interesting thing because like that's happened to me a bunch of times. That's happened right. to a lot of guys. Um, that's how I got into Cirque du Soleil. I came in and originally just came in to do a week. They were gonna, the bass player who was a conductor at Mister here in Vegas. Um, was going to train another assistant conductor. And I'm like, and I was with Gary Puckett at the time. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, Cirque du Soleil was not on my radar at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not even close. Right. But I, yeah, I just, same thing. Like, I just 
work my ass off and, and like learn the tunes and and uh and then i ended up coming back like two months later but that's some of the best gigs that's exactly how that happens right right but the, you know after like weeks and weeks of hey can you do next weekend can you do yeah. next weekend i kind of like cornered the the principal members of the band i said would you like me to join this band <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and i remember exactly. this vividly because it was like outside of a rehearsal studio in, in manhattan and and buck said would you like to join the band i said yes i would very much like to join the band <laughs> and uh and that was it and yeah. um that's awesome. i haven't screwed up enough yet to be fired so you but so you started on bass and how did and then you end up switching to guitar right yeah well, guitar uh, keys vocals yes. the whole thing yeah and i i i love playing bass i mean my uh uncle's a bass player my grandfather was a bass player in fact i have his upright bass bass upstairs that he used oh. to do wedding gigs on i have how him. awesome that's awesome. so um i love playing bass but um you know guitar is my primary instrument right so and, and keyboards is key, keyboard is not my primary instrument at all yeah but what happened but is, it's nice that's a great double though right to have yeah you know, yeah cover parts and yeah what happened is um the founding member Alan Lanier, who was the band's keyboard player and guitar player, he retired. Okay. And um, they the band had a, a, a dilemma now because now it's not just that you replace like I I replaced Danny, who was like the fourth or third or fourth bass player to be in the band. Yeah, and I actually would encourage people to to check out Danny Miranda because Danny's a great player. He's played with a lot of awesome oh, yeah. people. Oh, just he's to a mention, phenomenal that, but, bass player, phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but so now I'm in the position, I wasn't, like, Danny was the third, I think the third or fourth bass player, third, I think, to be in Blue Oyster Cult. Hmm. Um, this is me replacing a founding member. This is a tough sell. Yeah, you know it's a I different, mean? and all but the all is, hardcore they were gonna fans. Be, they were going to get a new guy to replace the founding member, which was a right. tough sell. So they yeah. knew that I played other instruments, and they said, hey, well, instead of getting trying to find a guy who can double piano and guitar... Why don't you do that, and we'll just get it. It'll be easier to get a new bass player. Right, yeah. So <clears throat> they said, you play keyboard, right? I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I really didn't, but, you know, it's like. But you make it work, right? <laughs> yeah, my, 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 uncle, my uncle told me, my, my uncle, aside from being a musician, was also an actor who has been in a few movies. Like, he was in Goodfellas oh, and stuff huh. like that. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And, um, What's his name? Me, Phil Castellano. Oh, okay, cool. And he told me. That you know when you when you and all the extras are lined up in the room and the the you know the assistant director or assistant producer comes in and says which one of you knows how to you know ski yeah. he yeah. said ride, ride you raise horse. your hand <laughs> even if you've never skied before in your life yep exactly. because you get there you figure it out yep that's it he, he said you, you you always you always say yes I can that's that's it. just like the book yeah but, uh, get the get the gig and then figure yeah. it out <laughs> then sweat. So I said, oh, yeah, exactly. of course. And then the next two weeks I spent with a metronome and a keyboard, yeah. you know, just learning the stuff. And But this was a different situation because now that I'm in, I was in the band for a couple of years, I, I was able to tell them, okay, I'm fine. Let's not do this song and this song for a couple of weeks. You know right. what I mean? Like, I'll get yeah. it. Because the thing uh, is, with, the, with those guys, with Blue Oyster Cult, I mean, obviously there's a lot of classic tunes. And there's, there's stuff that's not easy to play, right? Even no, bass, guitar, not, no matter what. Yeah. It's deceptively hard because yeah. it sounds simple. And we've all heard those songs so many times, like, oh, I know that song. <laughs> right. So you actually have to play it, right? It's, it's, I, I've seen, you know, a lot of people just uh, kamikaze Blue Oyster Cult covers. It's right. tough. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I moved over to that. And then we had like a sort of a revolving door of ba bass players for a while. But I got to um, the first bass player we got. Danny came back for a little bit just to fill in in between Queen and Meatloaf. Right. So he, yeah. he, um, he helped us out. But then uh, we got Rudy Sarzo. Yeah, Rudy. Who, by the way, well, I can't announce it, but <laughs> okay, I, he's going to be a big of parents. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Rudy, um, meeting Rudy changed the trajectory of my life because mm -hmm. Rudy, Rudy was, I was only in the band with Rudy for a short period, but he was very kind to me and a mentor in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, basically. Yeah, he's a Rudy, legend. I mean, yeah, but I'm not even talking about the bass stuff. Obviously, he's a right. killer musician. You know what I mean? But yeah, as a person, sure. As a person, like when everybody else is playing video games or or you know just messing around their phones, Rudy would be watching tutorials, teaching himself new skills. Interesting. Like I never met like a hyper motivated person like that. 
Right. You know, they exist. Like when you talk about all these, you know, billionaires that wake up at four in the morning and work out and then, you know, d- you know, do this, right. and do that, like very disciplined people. Like Rudy is one of those super disciplined, you know, hyper motivated people. And, and I, I, I took an interest in what he was doing mm-hmm. and, uh, he, and he saw that I was interested and he was learning 3d animation and he was learning video editing and he was doing all this stuff. Um, as just a hobby, right? You know? Just to learn um, to be. He likes to learn. Yeah. It's yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and like you know, for example, he was also with Dio at the time. He was splitting right. his time between Dio and us. And Dio had the like on the jumbotron had all these like animations of dragons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Rudy made all of them. Oh, that's interesting. So that was really cool. Uh. And you know, Rudy said to me the sentence that changed my life. He said, um, "What's on your YouTube channel?" I said, no. I have a couple of gigs from my old cover band. He said, you're making a big mistake. He said, if you don't have a YouTube channel, you don't exist. Yeah. He, says, a guy, he says, a guy like me, I don't need a YouTube channel. He goes, a guy your age, you need a YouTube channel. And he goes, and you need to treat it seriously. That's, that's what he said that, to me. That's so interesting, yeah, at that point in his career, too, to, to give you that advice, which is actually completely true, right? He's like, he's like Yoda. Yeah. He's like a tall... Really handsome Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> damn, you so damn look good looking at that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I know. It's funny. It, it's I'll tell you a Rudy, I'll tell you a quick Rudy Sarzo story. We had a gig where the flight was horribly delayed. Uh none of our gear made the connection, and we had to get escorted by the local police from the it was in Elmira, New York. We they had to drive us. They drove like 110 miles an hour down the road, right? right. Uh, to get us to the gig on time, right? So we, so the, it was the day, like all of us are wearing like jeans and t-shirts, but Rudy decided to wear cargo shorts and a t-shirt, right? <laughs> so Rudy was not stage ready, yeah. you know? <clears throat> and uh, so Rudy is flipping out. He's going like, I can't believe I look like this and I have to go play a show. He goes, this is the last time I ever wear shorts on a plane. I thought it was going to be comfortable, but I look, I look like a bum, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to have to play a show like this. So like, we're just so used to Rudy looking better than all of us that it was funny because Rudy's like, you know, his hair is messed up. <laughs> like, he's not, we didn't have time to go to the hotel, take showers. Yeah, you just got to make it work. We look like crap, right? But Rudy's wearing cargo shorts. He looks like he's shopping at Walmart, right? So I'm looking over at Rudy like, oh, look at Rudy. You know, for once, he, he's down to our level, right? And then Rudy looks at all of us. He takes his shirt off. He looks like a Greek god. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, then, we, then we immediately go back to schlub level. Schlub level. <laughs> and to him again. So that's my that's my pointless Rudy Sarzo story. Oh fun. But, but um, yeah. So he he taught me a few things. He also like, I would do like goofy projects for fun. Like I would, I I did a series of like comedy kung fu movies that I did with my friends, and uh. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I learned all the skills I ended up using later on in life from doing those. Right. And Rudy hooked me up with Sony uh, editing software. Okay. Rudy, like, we'd be sitting in an airport, and it'd be, Rudy, how do I chop this guy's head off? And he'd be like, and he'd be on his laptop looking over his shoulder, open up a new layer. Okay, um, duplicate that. Okay, um, add blood spatter. Okay, animate that. Okay, no, roll it. No, roll it the other way. And he would, and it's like he wow. just knew everything. Yeah. And, you know, or, or I'd go to his hotel room and he'd like give me a tutorial on how to do video editing. Like that's so he interesting. Taught, yeah. He taught me everything. It right. was unbelievable. And to him, like he doesn't even remember it. Yeah. It, he's just a nice guy. And to him, yeah. he was just like, oh, it was like a, a thing in passing. But to me, it was so important. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like I can't believe. First of all, I can't believe I'm getting this information from a guy I used to watch on MTV. Right, playing with Ozzy and <laughs> yeah, it, it was like it's total, total like mind bender. And that's a good lesson because you know you never know what pe- I mean. People see it, musicians; they see people doing that thing, but they're like, you know, ideally, like they're full, well-rounded people. They do lots of other things. I mean, oh, that's yeah. I mean, with you too, with with your Band Geek series, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, that's like, but it's good to know that, right? Like, and yeah, that, this is, but this is what got me into all that stuff. Is is yeah. Rudy just uh, telling me the importance of of doing, you know, you, YouTube videos and producing right. my own content. It, it was, 
you know, because I was all about just being in Blue Oyster Cult at the time. Yeah. And he was looking ahead of that. He said, right. this is great that you're doing this, but you have to, you need to do something else. Yeah. So, and like, you know, the thing is, too, is you can't just do music all the time. You have to have other things. Yeah. If it's related to music, but just something different. I mean, I do photography. I do a bunch of other stuff. Right. But how much does photography help your music? It, you know, it all works together. It right? does. I mean, it, it's all creative and it all, you know, you meet new people and then you get new energy for stuff. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump because we're going to, we got a little bit of uh, limited time, but um, I want to talk about the new record. With, sure. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult because that, I just listened to the whole thing last night. Um, and what a great, just a great to, or the, I mean, the, the whole record's great. Um, you're actually a new, in a new role in this situation because you're actually songwriting, you're producing. Yeah. Um, and tell us a little bit about how the record came about, how that all happened for you um, in that new role, I guess. So the this was the carrot that was dangled in front of me for the last 15, 16 years. You know, my, my first gig with the band, they said, oh, great, you can write too. So when we do records, yeah. but so... I should say happened. that the name of the record is The Symbol Remains, correct? Yes, The Symbol yeah. Remains. Thank you. Yeah. You're, you're better at this than I am. Uh, <laughs> I've got the, notes. <laughs> the, the, so... Every couple of years since I've been in the band, there would be a rumbling about a record deal. Right. And me being the person who got the passport early, who learns the songs early, who does all the stuff early, I'd start writing songs. Every time yeah. there was a rumor, I'd say, oh, okay, you know, let me yeah. write a song. And sure. I'd present it to the band, and they'd be like, eh, it's not happening. And then this would, this would go on every two or three years. We'd get, uh, there'd be an offer. Yeah. It would fall through. Deal would fall through. But every how time is, that and how was Buck on with that whole situation about doing a new album at that point? Is he just kind of like, eh, I don't know? Or no, that was, Buck that was really even... wanted to record, and for the last you know fifteen, sixteen years, when he and I would be in in the car driving to gigs together on mm -hmm. long trips, we'd be talking about how we would do it. Oh, okay. Like, he was really like we we were like so the seed was there. It's just yeah, we've been thinking happen. about it for a while how to how to finish it. Sure. Um, but it just it, the opportunity never came just because we're not a band that lives within you know an hour of each other. We yeah. have guys who live in different parts of the country, so uh, flights it's, and hotels. Yeah, it's, need it's to, complicated, right? Yeah, flights, hotels need to be booked, recording time, studio time, needs rehearsal time. All this right. stuff needs to be paid for, and if yeah. there's no budget for it, the money can't just come out of thin air. And you want to do right. it right. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. And also, like, and we need to take time off of touring. So everybody's got to be compensated because it's not like we're not a band that meets up after work. This is our work. Yeah. So it's like you, that. It's it's taking a loss for a year, really. Sure. Um. So by the time we actually had a real deal, I had a bunch of songs written, and some of and basically I also was writing songs for myself, not just for the band. Sure. I'm I, I write songs. It's like part of what I do. Yeah. And um. I was just really hoping. I said, wouldn't it be great if I got to write one song on this album? Right. I said, just one. It would be so cool. And and I told the guys, like, oh, you know, if you'd like to hear some of my songs, I threw everything I had in a Dropbox folder. And I sent it to everybody. I said, you yeah. know, guys, pick just whatever you like. Out. Sure. If you, if you want to change stuff, change stuff. Go write, go, you know, here's, here's what I got. Mm. And, you know, early on, it was like, all right, you know, we'll check it out. And I wasn't expecting much. I wasn't expect. I was expecting it to be kind of the way the live shows are, where you know yeah. maybe I get get a solo once or twice, uh, and maybe I have like one little spot. Yeah, you know that's what I was expecting because that's how we've been operating. But as the process went on, you know, uh, during the year we were working on it, the guys kept going back to my Dropbox folder more. It's oh. like, well, what about this? Well, cool. what if we do this like this? Right. You know what I mean? Or what if we add this section to this? And 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 just kept sort of picking picking out at it more. And um, then uh, other collaborations happened. Like uh, Eric uh, would get lyrics from uh, John Shirley, who's a song a song a lyricist. Right. And John Eric Shirley actually wrote lyrics for a lot of the classic. Yes. Yes. Boc tunes, right? Mm -hmm. And um, especially in the last few albums. Yeah. Uh, and. Eric came over here, or Eric would say, I have a lyric that I wrote, and he and I would just finish those ideas here mm -hmm. together. So we had the songs in the Dropbox with the finished songs. Buck had a bunch of songs. Yeah. Uh, our drummer, Jules, Jules yeah. Rodino, phenomenal drummer. Great he player. Had, yep. Yes, he had he had a song too. So everybody starts throwing stuff into the pot, and it was really fun. Um, and uh, and I at one point, I got a lyric. I got an email from... Uh, I was talking to... 
our manager, Steve, and, and, and I was talking about, like I said, you know, lyrics are going to become a stumbling block for us because, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm doing my best here, but like it would be helpful to have some lyrics that from like classic POC lyrics. Right. And, and he goes, well, I can call Richard Meltzer, who wrote the lyrics for Burning For You, Harvester okay. of Eyes, like wow. a lot of the great songs. Yeah, because I mean, the thing about that is writing a new album, first of all, it hasn't been out in, in 20 years, right? A new mm-hmm. a new album. And then the other thing is you're, you're all going up against classic, huge radio songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, that's a little bit of a, a stressful thing, right? So we... So um, Richard sent our manager a, a few lyrics, and um, I asked, you know, is any and anybody want this one? And Buck was working on a different song, and Eric wasn't interested in it, so I just sort of took it and I I wrote a song around it called uh, "The Return of Saint Cecilia," and um, that ended up on the record. And it was one of those things like I I wrote it for Eric to sing. You know, I said, "Oh, Eric should sing this song. It's gonna be cool." Yeah, and then. You know this when you write and record music, you kind of fall in love with the demo a right. lot of the times. Yep. So on the demo, I'm singing all these songs. So, you know, they would hear me sing it, and then Eric would be like, "Nah, you sing this." Yeah, you know what I mean. And I'm like, "Me? Like, I wasn't expecting to, to sing anything." Wow, you're you're a great singer. I appreciate that. Yeah. But like, you know, the the two principal members of the band are the sure. singers. Yeah. So I was wasn't expecting it, and then you know, Eric started writing a song called "Tainted Blood." And we and we finished it here. Uh, we 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 finished it together. And and Eric was going to sing it. And Eric said, "Okay, you know." And then wh- while we were apart, we would we would make like notes on the demo. And he'd say, "Oh, change this chord here. Shorten this section. This is too dramatic. You know, change this and right. make a new demo of it." So I'd make I'd make demos, and on all the demos, I'd be singing it. Sure. And then the guys would be like, "Why don't you just sing this too?" Yeah, you know, and oh, it was, awesome. That, yeah, yeah, and and then and then there were songs like there was a song I wrote called "The Machine." That's a song mm-hmm. that I actually wrote. It was just a song I wrote, and um, the plan was that uh, Buck was going to sing it. Hmm. You know, because uh, Buck really liked the song. He said, yeah. "Oh, that's got to be on the album." And um, but you know, it just again, it worked out. Ah, hey, you know what? You do it. That's um, funny. But then yeah, there how, times- how awesome is that? But those two guys were legends. That yeah, have been around forever. Like that, they are willing to hand that off to you. They that's, were that's very so awesome. encouraging to me, and I'm honored to do it. I was shocked, to be honest, because uh, I I was thinking all these things, like trying to like keep. Yeah, you're mind, focused. Okay. You're focused on the song, right? Yeah, like I'm yeah. not going to sing this. That's okay. Let's just get this right. done. Yeah. You know. Um. But but then there were other. There was there was the opposite. Like um, there were a couple songs I wrote. Like one was called "Edge of the World," and this was something that I wanted Eric to sing. And Eric's like, I don't know if I could sing this song. I said, you can totally sing this song. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and he ended up crushing it. You know yeah. what I mean? He's got but, a great voice. Yeah. But he was just like, he was, the thing is like what, what was, what ended up being helpful in the vocal tracking sessions was when he was just like not able to kind of get into it. I was like, you know that just from playing the whole band's catalog, I was like, you know the kind of voice you did on this song? Yeah. I was like, try that on this, you know? And he'd be like, oh, all right. And and we kept like experimenting, like yeah. sing it like this person, or sing it right. like this person, you know, yeah. or just or, like, to kind of knock him out of his box a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I was like, you know what you did on Summer Love, like that deep thing. Try that, try that for this line, yeah. you know. And it, yeah, it kind of got him out of the the just the mode of singing that he's used to, right. and right. and got some different sounds. So that was really cool. And then there was another song that I wrote called The Alchemist, uh, which. You know, he listened to it and was just like, "Oh God, I have to sing this." I said, "Because it's it's long and it's difficult." You know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, y- "You can totally do this." And he, that he un- knocked that out of the park. You know, like Eric, I gotta say, Eric worked unbelievably hard in this album. He was yeah. just so motivated. And it, the weirdness behind it is because we did the basics before COVID, but the overdubs were done during COVID. Oh, and right. The three of us. You know, me, Don, and uh, Buck, excuse me, B, Buck, and uh, Eric all live in different parts of the country. Sure. So we we recorded the album the same way you and I are speaking right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and, sort of the modern way to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, every day Eric would call me. Like, he was he was hyper-focused on this. Every awesome. day he's like, all right, 3 o'clock. We're you know what's 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 really cool about that, too? And I can tell that with, with, with Buck also is that those guys still enjoy what they do. Because oh, yeah. like, there's a lot of guys they've been around for that many years. They have the big hits. They just they're kind of just doing it. But you well, can tell that those guys they love what they do still, which is awesome. Well, you know? Buck, for example, like he would do is he would like there'd be a song I wrote, I wrote, and 
I would just be like lost in it. And you usually would be kind of like working on our own things, but sure. he would send me a track. He said, put this into your song. And it would be this like atmospheric synth part that I wouldn't even have considered. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's so And there's a lot of that in the Blue Oyster Cult stuff. Yeah. Like, just stuff was, out of you know, nowhere that's like cool, really cool Yeah, stuff. he would, he he was responsible for a lot of those little details of mm -hmm. adding it. And that's the other thing. It's, it was truly produced by the three of us. Like there was nobody really saying, this is how it has to be. You right. know, I would write a song and Eric would be like, you should take that first chorus out. And I'd be like, really? He's like, you should try it. And I would, and yeah. I did it. And I went, oh my God, that's better. Yeah. You know, because what ends up happening is we, you get so caught up in the song you're working on. Yep. You can't, you, you, you lose all objectivity. You need, you need a different set of ears to come right. in. And, and we, and we all did that for each other. Awesome. Like, you know, it, and, it, it was a little tough for me because I'm going with my, you know, the my bosses that, I, right. that I'm kind of working sure. for now. But I'm also, in some cases, I have to produce. But they also know. have, obviously, they have mad respect for your skills to, they, to they, bring you into that situation. They, they they didn't shut me down all the time. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was, they, let's put it this way. I am eternally grateful for what they let me do on this album for the opportunities they gave me. I and this album, been, and I, this album sounds, you know, like just killer. I mean, it's well, it's well, clad. it's up there with anything else they've ever done. I think I appreciate that where it's, it's doing very well. It's getting reviewed very well and we're yeah. incredibly proud of it. And we, you know, it's, it's very difficult because I've never done a record like this. Usually I'm the Napoleon of the record. I get to say everything that happens. I get to right. write all the songs. That's sure. just, I've only done my own like independent stuff. Yeah. But now working with other people and for a major band on right. a label, you know what I mean? With where, a lot of expectations of Right, of, when of you the have fans. to hand yeah. songs off to Tom Lord Algae to mix, Tom Lord Algae, who's <laughs> yeah. one of my heroes, you know what I mean? It, 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 it was a totally different experience, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to get bulldozed on this. So, yeah. like, it'll be, I'll just be happy to sit in the corner and have one of my songs and maybe play a little <laughs> solo here or there. <laughs> yeah. But but they were just like, no, man, you got ideas? Go for it. Let's let's hear them. What do you and got? I think that the thing is, too, I mean, Richie, obviously, you know, you're very ex experienced what you do. You're a great guitar player, great writer. Thank um, you. But it's, it's good for them to bring in new blood and bring in, like, you can hear that. Like, you hear the, you hear the past and you hear the future of the band in this record, which I think is just a, the perfect combination. That's in my opinion. I mean, we're, we're thrilled with how it came out. And at the end of it, you know, when we all listened to it and it was, it wasn't easy. I mean, especially dealing like there would have been times where it would have been really nice to be in the room with everybody sure, and, yeah. and do some of this stuff, but, but it's, it's just sort of the new normal, as they say. Yeah, a, a, exactly. But a, after like the, the, the back and forth and, and the debates about, you know, the, the level of the hi hat and and, and all this cra <laughs> sure. crazy stuff that you that you obsess over, you know, when it was done, we were all able to sit back and go, wow, like this this came out. We're really proud of this. Like we what's really the, uh, what's which songs do you actually sing lead on so people can check it out on the record? I sing lead on Tainted Blood. Mm -hmm. I sing lead on um The Machine and The Return of Saint Cecilia. Cool. All right, cool. So people can definitely check that. Yeah, and they, like they should, they should check this record out because, like I said, I listened to the whole thing yesterday, and just it's really what I like about it. It has the classic feel of Blue Oyster Cult, but again, it has like a modern update, which feel, which feels authentic. I think. Yeah, I mean, there are fan theories that I think are interesting. Uh, that each because there because there are fourteen songs on the album, right. and there have been fourteen studio records. That yeah. each song is doing a different record from yeah, the band's history right. yep. uh which is a cool theory um i, I well think they sort of all have to stand alone but in as a group at the same time right that which is tricky you know what it work. is it's and i just thought about this it's the a lot of the band's other albums are amazing but they're sort of like monolithic in the way they sound like you know like secret treaties has a very different sound than fire of unknown origin you sure. know what i mean yeah um it's almost like it could be two different bands, almost. You know what I right. mean? Um, Which is good and tricky at the same yeah. time, right? But but like you see, like the bands where they're at at that right. point in time. Uh, so it's different. It's I can see why people would say that because we we kind of morph styles a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of variety in this album. But I think the reason that happened is because I am the way my experience with the band is. I've never really. Like, the, I experience the band as whatever the set list is. 
You know what right. I mean? Like yeah. I'm I'm concerned with the songs I have to play. So sure. to me, um, you know, Veteran of the Psychic War and ME262, they're they come from the same thing, even though they're years apart. You know what sure. I mean? And so, but it's like, oh no, this is a BOC song. This is a BOC song, right? It's, right. It's, so to me, it's like, oh, I'm gonna do this like. Like, for example, in The Return of St. Cecilia, there's like this piano thing. I'm like, I'm going to do the ME262 thing here, which is mm. an, an early thing, right? But then um, on another song, I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this uh, this synth thing that's from, from Fire Run on Origin, from a right. veteran. You know what I mean? Or, yep. I'll, do, it's, or I'll do... Um, so you're, I'm, sort I'm of, you're sort of cherry-picking the best of the past. Right. I'm, right. I'm cherry-picking all the, the, the different uh, things that I'm just familiar with from having to play these songs. Right. And... I know that, I know that's how I was doing it, and I know that um, you know Buck would have some songs like he has a song called "Train True" that almost could be it could be one of those early songs, right? And then he has a song called "Secret Road" that sounds like a later song. Sure. So you know where we weren't afraid, we, like there was no discussion saying like this album it must sound like this from beginning yeah. to end and anything that doesn't fit this mold is going to be rejected. It's well, I mean, the thing is too, is as you go, I mean, it's been 20 years since their last record, 19 years. Um, and you grow as a person, right? I mean, I mean Buck Rose, Eric, you, I mean, every, it's, so you should actually, it should bring yeah. a different influence. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's basically like, there's a lot of different things in here. And if, if you're, you know what, there's enough, there's something for everybody. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I want to, <laughs> um, before we run out of time, I want to talk about Band Geek. Cause oh, yes, thank you. That's, so that's your YouTube, I guess, I guess you'd say YouTube Facebook Live series. Yeah. Um, and you have like almost 70,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, it's pretty crazy. I love what you guys do. So you basically take tunes from all different eras, you Boston, Rush, whatever, and it's with a great group of players. Tell me how that sort of happened and, yeah, and the success was, of it. I was doing, I had a day job and uh, I was working for American Musical Supply, which is a great company, and yep. I was doing uh, product demos for them. Uh, and I was do doing that nine to five and then doing Blue Oyster Cult gigs. Yep. Yeah, Blue Oyster <laughs> Cult gigs on the weekend. Okay, cool. And I was losing my mind. Yeah. And I thought the only the only cure for this was to do have a creative outlet and to just add more work to that. So. <laughs> The only, the only cure to my my exhaustion is more work. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I I started Band Geek then because I I was like I, my soul was getting crushed, and I it started as a podcast because you know on my long commute to work I would listen to podcasts right and you know um, being an egomaniac you go I could do this so <laughs> yeah so, by the way it's not easy to do yeah. <laughs> as you know <laughs> so I just started doing it and yeah you're right it's a pain in the butt and. What we would do is, because we're musicians, like I wanted it to be just like, you know, we're going to talk about geek stuff like comic books and movies. Um, but because we're musicians, like we'd eventually, like we'd have the instruments in our hands while we're talking sure. and we'd play stuff. Yeah. And people responded to the playing more than the talking. Yeah. And then we would, okay, well, someone take a video of us playing with the cell phone and then right. I'll just post that. And then we noticed the videos of the playing would have way more views than the yeah, talking. Sure. And then we and then we said, okay, well, let me get a couple more cameras down here, and we'll make a nicer video, more views. And uh, it let grows. me get <laughs> let me let me put some lights down here, and let me get some yeah. some stands, and let me do you know, okay, more views. All right, let me paint the studio. Let me put screens up. Yeah. It's like more views, more views. So the so more now you like, have a whole TV studio at your at your house. Right? Yeah. The <laughs> more the the more I went into. Uh, that mode of just doing performance, you're just musicians playing, mm -hmm. the more, the, the better it was. Like, the, the, and, you're, and you're using players, I mean, they're obviously your friends, but you're using guys that are like world-class players, world-class yeah, singers. I'm, I'm very lucky uh, that I have access to all these people. Um, and it, it, it just started with my friends, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and what happened is people started noticing and asking, hey, can I be on the show? And yeah. I'm like, you want to be on, you want to come to my basement in Staten Island and squeeze into this tiny area <laughs> and, and and play like some cover song with us? Okay. Yeah. But you, you did, um, you also did that something that was viral was uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Yes. By yourself. Yeah, I did that. Um, that was before, but that was sort of, that was after Rudy's, uh, urging you know what i mean oh, okay. like the first the first big project i did after rudy kind of nudged me was i did this a similar thing with the uh, abc by the jackson five sure yeah and then um after there was a situation you know the uh 
actually, it's why I met you as well. Um, it's uh, do, you, do you know uh, the Queen Extravaganza with Mark Martell? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I yeah. So I, just that. so people know, so, so people know who that is. So Mark Martell is actually a viral guy that does Freddie Mercury, and he actually did a lot of the um, voiceover singing and um, Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the, the film, right? Yeah. He, he's a dead ringer. Yeah. He's amazing. So check him out. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So I was part of that like contest. They had right. an online contest, and I, they. F- Flew me out to, uh, and that was with Roger and Brian, and yeah, yeah. Mainly just Roger, Roger was there, Roger, but right. they flew us out to the Foo Fighters studio in uh, in LA, and we got to audition. And uh, I, you know, it was amazing. I got to meet Roger Taylor, which is so right. cool. And um, I thought the audition went well, but it apparently I didn't go that well because I didn't get the gig. <laughs> and um, to commemorate that experience, I went home and I recorded. Bohemian Rhapsody, right. you know, because I wanted to commemorate it. Yeah, and, I, and uh, you did you did all the parts by yourself. Which yeah, is no, I, you know, no easy feat. Right. It's my favorite song, and uh, I sort of have been learning it since I'm 12, since Wayne Wayne's World came right. out. Exactly. You know, and I, I was just been, I've been obsessed with that song since the first time I heard it in the movie theater with my dad, and I remember just hearing that song and looking over my dad, and I said. Which is, what the that, hell is this? And that's a freaking hard song to play live. <laughs> yeah. Because they never actually did it, right? They never did the full song live. No. They came in on the rock section. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'd been learning it, and it took me about a week, and I had the motivation from the whole Queen Extravaganza experience uh, fueling me. And right. I basically locked myself in the basement and over the course of a week and record this whole thing, I basically recorded until I made myself physically ill. That's how I did it. I was, I remember at the end of it, I, I was laying a a little obsessive. (laughs) I was sick in bed editing it on a laptop. Wow. Like this. And then I'm, cause I remember I posted, I think uh, the day after Christmas and I was sick during it. And, uh, yeah. And it was the first time I ever had a viral video. And I remember because the YouTube counter got stuck at 300. I wow. said, this can't be that I only have 300. It's a 300 plus. Back in the day, they would do that because they would oh. think you were a bot spamming. Interesting. And they yeah. had to verify all the views. Right. Um, and then it you know, it it quickly w- went up there. It was like in the hundreds of thousands soon. And then over a, a course of time, it got to a million. Wow. And now, now it's a little easier to get to a million. But I knew that, okay, I have this thing. I have to immediately put out something else after this. Right, you want to capitalize. Because like, yeah. like I've been given a gift, you exactly. know what I mean? And and you can squander the gift, uh, but I, I said I'm going to just immediately try to do, do that. So I did other videos like that, uh, and then the Band Geek thing was great because that gave me an excuse to keep doing stuff. So what what's the uh, the future for Band Geek? Are you guys, uh, you have, you how do you actually do, do you plan tunes that you want to do? Is it like a group idea? Or what how, we, how does that what work? we usually do is um, we'll, We'll have like sometimes we'll like have like a text thread and and we'll have like twenty songs we want to do, you right. know, and we'll say that. But most of the time, it's if we have a musician come over, because we have like rotating musicians. Yeah. So yeah, you sort have, of have now you sort of have a core group and then you rotate. Right, right. Right. So if someone comes in and you have, uh, I was just say as Anne Marie, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like so your or, singer. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say like um. Like I was listening to Boston in my car, and I heard smoking, and I heard right. the high A. I was like, you know what, Amory's gonna murder this song. Yeah. So I'm that's I'm always trying to think of like what song's good for someone. Like, right. I think was on the gig we played was Chris Clark on that gig. Oh, I don't remember. Mm. Might have been. I think it, I think Chris Clark might have been on that gig. They were all but, killer singers. Yeah. No, Chris, <laughs> Chris Clark is a keyboard player. Oh, keyboard player. Oh, okay. So, oh, maybe um, so. Yeah, actually, yeah, because that was yeah. a while ago. But yeah, maybe so. so. I met him, and uh, he wanted to do something like a, a deep cut when he came over. Right. And I said, cause he lives, he lives not too far from me. Oh, so uh, cool. I said, I said, no, I said, we, we got to do close to the edge. Yeah. I said, and we could sing it. We can all play. We just don't have a keyboard player. She sings do the it. crap out of that song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I messaged I said, like, you. I'm like, I'm like, holy crap. That's so good. Yeah. And he was like, I don't know. That's like too on the nose. I said, no, no, let's do it. Yeah. So we did close to the edge and John Anderson saw it. Oh. And invited us all down to a gig, and, uh, wow. and and me and Amory went backstage, and he hugged us and talked to us for about ten minutes about how much he loved the video. How cool! Yeah, and and I was my dad was with me, thank God, because I was a buffoon. I was like, nice to meet you. That was me. I I, I was I turned into a complete idiot. Yeah, that's a legend. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's and there's a lot of nice things. Like we did um, we did a cover of 
of Hold On by um, Wilson Phillips. Mm-hmm. And uh, China Phillips commented on it. Oh, awesome. At, yeah. at, at how much you loved it. And then we. The video is fun too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, we did a video of. Um, of to be with you by Mr. Big and Eric right. Martin saw it and he was like I can't I thought this was me for a second and that you guys were lip syncing which is which is high praise yeah so I just actually just interviewed uh, Billy Sheehan so oh, we like, oh yeah. how good is he yeah but uh, we you know it's basically like whoever the guest musician is I try to say like what can this person what can we what is this person going to absolutely murder and right, sure the, the the rule we have is. Like I've done shows before where you do like a podcast or something and you play and then you leave and you go, oh man, I wish I didn't do that. Like right. I didn't play good or I didn't come off good. I the first thing I say to people when they come here, I, I said, by the time you leave here today, we're gonna have a song or two finished and you're gonna be happy. Yeah, I said we'll because you want you want them to be happy, right? Yeah. You want them to I showcase said, I, what they do. I, I want yeah. you not to regret this. I want you to just be really thrilled that you did this and share this with everybody. I said right. we will sit, we will stay down here as long as it takes. If we have to do this song a hundred times, we will do it a hundred times. Yeah, and sometimes it takes a hundred, not a hundred, but sometimes we have to do a song twenty times. Right, yeah, because you guys are a lot of the tunes you guys are doing are not easy songs. No, <laughs> and, and and of course. As soon as we open the can of worms of like progressive rock, everybody like wants us to keep raising the bar on it. Like, right. hey, you guys should do twenty one twelve or YYZ. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the thing is, like, you guys kill that stuff. It's so good. I mean, it's it's we freaking we awesome. love it. And the thing is, me, Andy Ascalis, our drummer, and Andy Graziano, who he and I switch off on guitar and bass. We had a band, the three of us, right? And we really we loved. You know, Emerson, like a Palmer, we loved uh, Yes, and we loved right. all the Genesis, yep. but like we were always like missing the one element. Like we needed another keyboard player, or yeah. we needed, you know, a singer who could sing really high, and we never really had that. And now because we're in the age of internet and collaboration and stuff like that, like, hey, we want to do this song. Who can we get to do this one part? The one thing we can't do, right? right? Yeah. Like if I say, oh, I can't really sing this this song I want to do. Oh, let's get Mike Torelli to do it. Or let's yeah. get Constantine Maroulis to do it. Like now we can actually Yeah, Constantine's just, killer too. <laughs> yeah, we can actually you know, like we've always wanted to do right now. Sure. But Amory's like, ah, it's not I could kind of do it, but that's kind of like a, a dude song. You right. know? And so we'd be like, okay, let's get this guy. Or, you know, let's let's get Cassim Sultan to sing this song. It's like we right. we've always, you know, now we we can sort of we we don't have to treat ourselves like a band saying we are th- th- just the six of us. Exactly. That's it. We can only do these songs. It's like no, right. I want to do this song. Let's call someone Let's who can do that and, yeah. and come down for the for for a night and fin- and we'll just do it. You know, that's it. <laughs> awesome. So. Um- Let's uh, just to wrap up. I want to make sure people can find you. So tell us how they can find. Um, well, boc obviously blueoystercult.com, I guess. Yes, that's yep. their website. You can find um, me there. Your... You can find me at richiecastellano.com. Okay. And all my social media links are there. Pretty easy. Yep. I'm and, on uh, YouTube. And then and... on YouTube, it's uh, just Band Geek, right? Well, it's I. There are two YouTube channels. I had to phase out the Band Geek one, but okay. uh, now it's mainly YouTube.com/slash/richiecastellano. Okay, cool. But they can find the Band Geek stuff there. And you oh yeah, can all also the stuff. Just... Yeah. Yeah, and you can search on YouTube. Um, Type but, band uh, geek in, will pop up. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, and I, man, I, I really encourage. I mean, first of all, again, the the, the um, Blue Oyster Call album, the symbol remains killer. Everybody should check that out. Um, and it's 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 there's on Spotify. It just, it's kind of making its way around um, now. And um, also, obviously, band geek. Um, and I want to thank you so much for for taking the time. Um, you, this I, was I, fun. Yeah, well, I, I follow you what you do, and I, I think we're very similar. Like, I, I try to, we have to sort of reinvent ourselves all the time, especially in the current situation. Yeah. So, like, I, I think it's really awesome that your energy and your positivity is is very inspirational. I think it's really Thanks. cool. So I appreciate I'll, the human interaction too of talking to somebody. I know, yeah, me too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, Richie, and uh, for everybody um, for for Music Matters, we will um, post all of Richie's links on the podcast episode. You can find us on Spotify, Podbean, soon on iTunes, and uh, catch up with Richie. Say hi, follow what he does because it's pre- it's pretty awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Richie. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. Thanks for joining us and please consider subscribing to our podcast and follow us on our social media pages for guest announcements.